Praise God. Good morning, church. The Gospel of John, chapter number 3, verse number 14. Be glad to be in the house of God this morning. Praise God. John, the Gospel of John, chapter number 3, verses 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I want to talk to you from the subject, the healing power of focus. The healing power of focus. That end. Uh, we're also going to be in Matthew, uh, Matthew 6, but I want to pray before I do that. Amen? Praise Jesus. Thank you, my God. Praise the name of Jesus, my God. We just exalt your name in this place, my God. We thank you. We acknowledge that your presence is here, my God, right now. We acknowledge, my God, the presence of Jesus in this place. And we don't just acknowledge it, my God, in in our thoughts, my God. We don't just acknowledge it, my God, but we give ourselves to it right now, my God. And we just thank you for not just your presence, but your lordship, my God. We, my God, we, 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 we right now, we just enthrone you, my God. We enthrone you. We enthrone you in our hearts. We enthrone you in our minds, my God. We don't just, my God, sit in your presence, but my God, we make your presence Lord. We bring the Lordship of Christ right now over every thought, my God, over every worry, over every issue, and over every circumstance. We just invoke the Lordship of Jesus Christ right now over our homes, over our houses, over our bodies, my God. We just thank you. Can we just go ahead and do this with your own voice? Just, just make him king. Say, Lord, we just make you king. We make you king in this place. We make you king in our hearts. We make you king on our lives, my God. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you, my God, for your word promises that where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty, my God. And right now, we just thank you for the liberty of Christ. We, my God, we just declare the liberty of Christ upon every life here now, my God. We declare the liberty of Christ, Lord God, over their thoughts now, Jesus. May the peace of God reign, my God. May this peace of God reign in their hearts and minds. We thank you today, my God. We thank you that peace is not just a feeling. It's powerful. It's effective, my God. We thank you for the peace, my God, that stills the storm. We thank you for the peace that steals the wind, my God. We thank you, my God, that your peace, my God, right now has power in effect, my God, over every issue now, Jesus. Father God, give us the liberty and the openness of hearts to, my God, to listen to grasp, to receive your word. My God, we thank you. I thank you now that even as I declare your word, may not just be words, my God, that leave my head and come through my mouth, but I pray that may every word, I just invite you, my God, to take every word and turn it into a vessel, my God, that you feel your grace, my God, that you feel your grace with, that you feel your mercy with, that you feel, my God, that you fill every word with your anointing, my God, so that it, as it enters the hearts and minds of your people, my God, may yokes be destroyed, may burdens be removed, may chains break. 
Father God, we just thank you, my God, for the my God, for the authority of your word, my God, the authority of your name be upon every single word that leaves this mouth, my God. And I pray, I pray, I pray so, my God, I, I pray with all my heart that as I speak, as I open my mouth, fill it. I pray not just be my my thoughts, my God, baby, your spirit that is speaking to your people. I yield myself now to your presence. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, and we'll be reading from 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes. Tell your neighbor, say, there's things more important. Mm. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? It does absolutely nothing for you. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And yet, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, don't sugarcoat it to us, Jesus. Tell us like it is. <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's like Jesus knows us so well, right? <laughs> Do not worry about tomorrow. Why? Tomorrow sort of falls in those classifications of things that we talked about last week. It falls in the classification of things that you don't have the power to change. If you, do, if, if you, don't, if you haven't recognized your limitations yet, I'm going to let you know now, you do not have the power to change tomorrow. You don't have any real influence over tomorrow. That's why James 4 says, takes it a step further and says, don't even say tomorrow we will. Because you don't know about, enough about what tomorrow will bring to say what you will and what you won't do. You can plan for tomorrow, but if you, but if you haven't experienced it already, tomorrow has a way of humbling your plans. I was thinking about this as I prepared the message. It was what it was like March, 
March 2020, and we, we were just coming into the Easter season, and, and I, had all the, I had a whole series lined up for you guys. And we had this whole strategy planned behind it, whole evangelism. So remember the evangelism? Reach, I mean, we had this whole campaign. We were preparing the media. We were preparing all these things. And we are preparing. A, a, I was entering a brand new series. Preached the first message of those, that, that series. Little knowing that I would not see you for the next eight months. <laughs> Tomorrow will humble your plans. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? You don't know what's coming Tomorrow. Instead, James says, we should say, if it is the Lord's will, we will. In other words, let alone worrying about tomorrow, you should plan tomorrow with the humility of understanding that tomorrow is not in your hands. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? It's your hands, your hands are not long enough to reach to enough to affect and go in tomorrow. So instead of worrying about tomorrow, you should just trust, instead of worrying about tomorrow and tomorrow is not in your hands, you should trust the hands who has not only your tomorrow, but your yesterday and your today. God says into Jeremiah, says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of good and not of evil plans to give you a hope in the future and since he knows tomorrow it's, it is much better to just to trust his plans than to worry about your plans are you hearing what I'm saying to you that's why when Jesus told his disciples he told, he told them come follow me and I will make you but he never told them where they were going to follow him to because the power of the journey is, is not in where you're going or even what is going to happen when you get there. The power of the journey is who you are following. So the consequence of tomorrow is not really in what happens tomorrow, but it's in who I'm following tomorrow into. And he is faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. How you hearing what I'm saying to you? And no matter what tomorrow brings, as long as he is with me, I can rest in the storms of tomorrow knowing he is with me. That is my confidence in tomorrow. Hallelujah. Amen. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Hallelujah. Sometimes that's all you need to know that he is with you. Doesn't matter where you're going. He told Joshua, I will be with you wherever you go. Hallelujah. Amen. Because understand that when Jesus is telling us not to worry, it's not because there is an absence of a reason to worry. Jesus acknowledges while he's telling us not to worry, he acknowledges the troubles that we are facing. He said each day has its own trouble. Overcoming worry is not about the absence of trouble, but it's about our response to trouble. Overcoming worry is not about the absence of trouble, but it's about our response to trouble. 
It's not that we don't face what everyone else in the world is facing. That's why Jesus said, peace I give to you. Peace not like the, as the world gives it. How does the world give it? The peace of the world is circumstantial. If there is no trouble, unless there is something wrong with you, you are not worried. Though some of us have a way of manufacturing worry where there is no worry. <laughs> but typically, if there was no reason to worry, we would not worry. That's not the peace of God. You would not need God for that type of peace. That's, what, that's the type of peace anyone in the world would have. But the peace of God is not circumstantial. The peace of God will give you peace while you're in the middle of a storm. The peace of God will give you peace and allow you to sleep in the middle of it. That is the peace of God. In effect, Jesus is saying either you're going to trust me with the trouble. You have a choice. Trust me with the trouble. Or you can do the fruitless effort of worrying about the trouble. And really, worry is just a symptom of where we have placed our trust. It is a sign of where, what, or upon who we have looked to to satisfy the demands and expectations of life. David says in, in Psalm 16:8, he said, I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. Therefore, I will not be shaken. The right hand, the right hand is, it is, it is symbolic because, because most of the world, the last statistic said about nine, a little bit over 90% of the world is right-handed. It is, the right hand is our go-to hand. It is our strongest hand because it is the hand that is most used. If some of us work out, you will recognize that it takes much more effort to work your left hand than your right hand because your right hand is strong. It is, it is your dominant hand. Most of the time when you go reach for things, you reach for it with your right hand. You will pick it up with your right hand. Even right now, trying to hold the mic with my left hand feels awkward for me. My right hand, it wants to go to it. This feels normal. This feels awkward. As I'm, the mic does not weigh much, but I feel the weight of it compared to my right hand. If I lift this laptop, the laptop, I can tell you right now, it feels, it feels clumsy in my left hand. My, my it, 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 it is... It's a bit heavier, feels heavier to my left hand than my right, right, my right hand. So I have a tendency always to switch to my right. Really, the left hand is just there for support. It's, it's just a supporting cast to my right hand. Are you, here, are you understanding me? It, it's, it's, just, it's just the, 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 supporting, the supporting cast. But David said, I set the Lord in the place of my right hand. In other words, in other words, David is saying, I didn't, pray, I didn't place the Lord to my left hand. He's not just my support. He is my strength. He is, the Lord is my go-to. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He is what I depend upon. He is my source. 
He is my right hand, the place of my strength. He is, he is the place, he is the place of trust. Therefore, I will not be shaken. So if I am shaken, it is a sign or a symptom of whose hand I've trusted in. David said, it's not because I don't have things in my life that are trying to shake me. If you've done any study of the Psalms, you will know that's not true. Every single, it feels like, if you read the Psalms, it feels like every, almost every single day of David's life is consumed with things coming after him. He said, it's not because I'm not shaken, not because I don't have things trying to shake me. But it's about whose hands I've depended upon to steady me in the shaking. And if I've made the Lord my right hand, if I've made him my strength, if I've made him my joy, if I've made him my peace, if I've made him my provision, if I've made him my hope and my expectation, if I've made him my, my shield and my very great reward, if I've made him my go-to, I will not be shaken. My hand can be shaken. His hand cannot be shaken. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So look at what Jesus says in verse 31 of Matthew 6. And so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Well, I don't want you to miss this now. You ready for this? You ready for this? Because Jesus is bringing up something that is a matter of some consequence for those of us who have set our lives on the pilgrimage of following Christ. Jesus talks about worries, power, and influence over what we pursue. That even though in our hearts we may have a desire to follow Christ, it is worry that is setting the compass of our pursuit. Jesus even takes it a step further and he suggests that we as believers, in as far as the objects of our pursuits are, 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 are at the threat of becoming no different than what the unbelievers are pursuing. That we are, what we are pursuing has become no different than what the rest of the world is pursuing. Clothing and drinks and, and housing and what shall I wear, trying I need to find status, what to eat, need to survive. And Jesus said, the issue, the issue, the issue he said, I, listen, I know you need these things. My issue is your pursuit of these things upon it, right? We talked about this a little bit last week. We, we, we give it spiritual labels, put a I love Jesus bumper sticker on it, 
and going our merry way. But Jesus says, guys, what you're chasing every day is no different from what the world is chasing every single day. He said the pagans run after it too. And worry is perverting and corrupting the object and purpose of our life's pursuits. It reminds me of when Moses went to Pharaoh. And God through Moses told Pharaoh, let my people go so they may worship me. And in response, Pharaoh instructs the taskmasters that were over the people. And he tells them to cease the supply of straw that they needed to bake the bricks. But their quota of the bricks was not to be reduced. In other words, he was telling them, I want you to keep the demand but reduce the provision." Isn't that what we, we still face in so many, that, that e either, either it is the, the demand of life is the same, but the provision goes down, or the demand goes up, and the provision remains the same? This is basically what Pharaoh was telling them to do. And by touching the provision of the straw, it was a calculation by Pharaoh that if he could keep them running, keep their mind running, if their time and strength was spent running and chasing after the straw, they wouldn't have the strength or the presence of mind to pursue God's promise. Listen to the scheme of Pharaoh here. He said, I'm going to manufacture a need in their life and get them chasing this so they won't pay attention to what God is saying. That's what he did. Sometimes we, we, when we think about what the, en you know, the enemy's plans, we think of sickness and this and that. This, he said, I'm just going to create worry. I'm going to create a need like, get, that puts them under pressure to get them running. But, and, and I want you to see first how perverse this pursuit was. Based, because Pharaoh basically had them pursuing the objects of their own bondage. They were pursuing the straw to make the bricks that were keeping them in that was keeping them in bondage. <laughs> Had them crying out, begging, searching, hunting for the straw that would keep them in bondage. See, you see, that's why you should thank God. When God allows some provisions to dry up. There are some provisions God allows to dry up on purpose. Sometimes the provisions that you think is helping you is actually holding you back. God said, I will supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory. And sometimes when God does not supply it, it is, it is God telling you, you don't need this for where I'm taking you. Stop running after the straw. Stop running after their approval and their praise. Stop running after that position. Stop running after that thing. God allowed that provision to dry up on purpose. 
Help me preach to your neighbor and convince them. They're still thinking about it. Tell them he, he, sometimes he allows it to dry up on purpose. See, you're worried about maintaining a life that God is trying to break you out of. Sometimes when provision begins to dry up on one level, it is a sign that God is trying to move you forward into what is next. In fact, the whole reason that Egypt had, the, had this had set up this system is because they were afraid of Israel's strength. Exodus, Exodus 1 says that Egypt, the Egyptians, the Egyptians came to dread Israel because the Bible says they were so numerous. They became so numerous in the land that the Egyptians became afraid and they said, if these people end up turning on us, there is no way we could have the strength to stop them. See, sometimes the enemy believes in your strength more than you believe in your own strength. Sometimes the way the enemy is coming at you, it is showing you sometimes what God has really put in you. And he recognizes something that you don't even recognize in yourself. And so the Egyptians at least they really discover and recognize how strong they really are. The Bible says that that they keep them from recognizing their own strength, they would work them ruthlessly. Keep them running. Keep them working. Keep them, their minds and hearts so consumed, they won't see it. In other, in other words, they use the pressures of life as a method of control. So Pharaoh, when he took away the straw, all he was doing was following the playbook. This was the playbook from the beginning. So if there's a threat, increase the pressure. Keep them from recognizing it. And so what I'm trying to, what I'm attempting to get you to recognize is that worry is blinding you from something. Worry is blinding you from something. There is something worry is trying to steer your attention away from recognizing. Your life is so much bigger than the straw that you are pursuing. Your life is not a matter of bricks and straws and let's lay the other brick before we die. First Peter 2.9 declares that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into the light. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? There's something that worry is keeping you from recognizing. There's something that worry is keeping you from, keeping you from participating in. Can you imagine for a moment just how, that, how far the straw really was from where God was about to take them? how far the straw was from what God was doing in their midst. That's how far worry would take you from what God is doing in your life. So Jesus said, do not worry about your life, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. My gosh. Do we trust that? 
Do we trust that scripture? Right? That's, that's, it, 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 we can get excited about the preaching of it. Right? That, that, that it will pursue you. We've heard this preaching before and we get up on our feet. It's, it sounds exciting, but the pro, it's hard to trust it. God, give us the grace to trust you more. Because that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Because to let go of the straw is to trust that, what, that, that, that God has something better for me on the other side. All right? To let go of the straw means I have to trust where God is taking me. To let go of the straw means I need to trust the promise of the milk and honey. Do I trust the milk and honey enough to stop chasing the straw? This is the paradox. To say, Lord, give me the grace to trust you more. But seek thee first his kingdom. Uh-oh. Don't worry about your life, but seek first his. I'm, I'm going to get it out of your mouth. I know you have a mask on, but and you think I don't, I can't see your mouth moving, but I can hear you. <laughs> don't worry about your life, but seek first his. Oh. Look at what worry has been trying to steer our hearts from. He said, that's what's at stake here. That's what's at stake. He says, but seek first his. Not only that, but what Jesus is suggesting is the answer to our worry is a realignment of our pursuit. Jesus is saying that this is the way you start the spirit of worry in your life. It's not saying, don't worry, 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 don't worry. That's not what Jesus is saying. Because the more you say it, the more you're going to worry. Right? That's not what we're talking about here. Not worrying, is, not worrying is not just a matter of not worrying. It's a matter of our pursuit. Look at Hebrews 6.18. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie... We who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. I want us to catch the wording in here because it's really interesting. We who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Wait, Paul. Now, am I fleeing from something or am I pursuing we who have fled to take hold of the hope to what that hope offered to us may greatly encourage. Am I fleeing from something or am I pursuing something here? Which is it? But Paul says it's both. In the pursuit to lay hold of the hope offered to us, in that pursuit to take hold I'm also fleeing from something as I am pursuing something. 
So the way I flee or escape something is not running away from it. Because if you try to run away from worry, you're just going to run into more worry. The way that you flee from worry is not fleeing from worry, but it's pursuing something greater. No, that's worth a clap. Go ahead. That's good stuff. Because that will, forget worry, that is an answer to so many things in life. Whether you talk about sin, okay, you're no escape sin by running away from sin. You escape sin by running to something, not running from something. Remember what God told uh, 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 Cain. He, he said, "He said, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door." So the way that you close the door to sin is not trying to keep sin out. It is doing something. So the same thing here. Jesus is saying, he's saying, don't worry about your life, but seek, pursue first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first. The kingdom of God. What Jesus, when Jesus says to seek first, <clears throat> excuse me, when Jesus says to seek first, it is a statement of priority. Everybody say priority. Because some of us may be thinking, what, what, what do you mean, Pastor? I mean, I have to live. I've got to survive. But, but let me tell you something, though. Here, here's the interesting, because Jesus doesn't let you off the hook. He said, I know you need it. My issue is you pursuing it. And the issue again is trust. Do you trust the passage? And what he's, then what he brings it a step further, he says, what I'm talking about is the priorities of your pursuit. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added. To you. If Israel would have sought first, they would have recognized that the straw that they were chasing after and worried about was no longer a subject of consequence in their life. Sometimes if you don't seek first, you don't know where the priorities all are and the order of your life is all messed up and you don't know what to pursue and what matters and what doesn't matter. When you prioritize his kingdom, when you prioritize his will, when you prioritize his way, when you prioritize his word, it will show you what matters and what doesn't matter in the context of, what God, of where God is taking your life. Is that good? So that you don't end up trying to chase straw while God is trying to take you to milk and honey. It was, if they would have sought the kingdom first, they would have recognized it. They would have recognized how absurd it looks for them to pursue the straw while God is trying to get them to a land flowing with milk and honey. It will show you 
what to give your heart to and the straw you need to, need to let go of. Now, I know some of us already in the back of our thoughts, you may be thinking, yeah, pastor, of course I'm seeking the kingdom. I'm seeking the kingdom. I come to, that's why I'm in church today. I'm seeking the kingdom. I go to Bible study. I'm seeking the kingdom. Just the other day, I told someone about Jesus. I'm seeking the kingdom. The, the thing is, I'm not the one you have to convince. In fact, in fact, <laughs> be encouraged because God does not lie. If our hearts are consumed with worry, the fruit is telling on you, not me. You're the one, you're the one who has to deal with the worry in your heart. And the worry is inviting you to re-examine the priority of your pursuits. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? It is telling you something needs to be re-examined. So you don't have to convince me. <laughs> you know, as we talk about this, you know that what picture comes to my mind is Peter walking on the water. You remember that, Peter? Famously, God calls him. He, he, there's a storm going on. The boat is being tossed. And, and, and they're afraid. And they see Jesus doing a Jesus thing walking on the water and of course they freak out and if we we're honest we would freak out too if we saw someone walking <laughs> on the water in the middle of the night with the wind blowing and they cried out it's a ghost and you, you know the rest of the story the bible says that jesus cried out it is i do not be afraid pastor you preached that some, some some weeks ago it is i that's the answer to every fear you have every worry you have that was his answer to to, to the fear they were experiencing, it is I, right? Do not be afraid. And, 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 G, and Peter, I love Peter. Peter steps up, takes the opportunity, says, if it is you, call me into the water to where you are. And so, and then Jesus says, come. And Peter steps out, and he's walking, walking towards Jesus. Jesus is there. Everybody say, Jesus is there. He's there. He's in front of him. Has Jesus there? He's walking towards him. Then somewhere, somewhere the Bible says, it just says this word, he saw the winds and the waves and he became afraid. And began to sink. Now, two things I want us to see. Number one, what we are seeing is, is a living demonstration of this passage on how to walk in the storm but not have worry. The storm is all around. The storm didn't start when he saw it, it was the issue of focus what he was focused upon and in fact if you read the passage something is very interesting here because the bible says that jesus immediately reached out his hand notice it didn't say that jesus walked over to him it said jesus which means that when he began to sink jesus was right in front of him 
he was close enough with only the need to reach out his hands. And isn't this the picture of us as believers? We can be so close, yet because our focus is off just by this much, we're drowning in worry and in fear while Jesus is right in front of us. While we have our arms worshiping him, in our hearts we're drowning in fear because of an issue of focus. That's the whole thing. And this is where I'm trying to tell you that it is a realignment of pursuit and focus. And you can be so close. You can be coming to church and listening to preachings, going to Bible study. You can be preaching yourself. (laughs) Got to preach to myself, you know. (laughs) The issue is trust, trust, focus. And in the end, it was all a matter of focus and priority of Peter's pursuit. I want you to listen to this closely. Because because in, in a way, what Peter was focusing on was the thing that God called him to. In fact, he was focused upon the very thing he asked to be in. But that's not the game. You have to walk in it, but not be focused upon it. And be focused upon him. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Because that slight deviation of focus will have you drowning. And see, when Jesus said, seek first the kingdom... Well, what's the kingdom? What's the kingdom? What does it mean to pursue the kingdom? Because in Luke's gospel, chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus said, we won't be able to say the kingdom is here or there. Why? The kingdom is more than just a place. But rather, it is the person of Christ himself. Jesus, everywhere he went, he kept telling him, The kingdom of God is near. Where? Where is it? But he he kept telling them. He told the disciples, go preach to them the kingdom of God is near. Where is it? It was right in front of them. He was there. And the kingdom is wherever he was. Because you cannot separate the kingdom from the king. The whole reason it is a kingdom is the presence of the king. If the king is not there, there is no kingdom. If the king is there, he the kingdom is wherever the king is. So seeking the kingdom is not seeking some place, it's seeking someone. And this brings us back to our original scripture. John 3, 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What Jesus is referring to, and I think maybe many of us might be familiar with it, but for those who are not, 
there was a point while Israel was in the wilderness that they were dealing with serpents and snakes that were biting them and many of them were perishing because of the, of the snakes. God told Moses, he said, take a piece of bronze and fashion it, beat it into the shape of the serpent that's biting them. And I mean, there's so much preaching there that I don't have time to go into. He who became sin, he who knew no sin became sin for us. That's another message. He said, beat it into the shape of a serpent. And then he said, lift it up on a pole. And that way, whenever the people are bitten by a venomous snake, all they have to do is walk up to the serpent and, f- and look at the serpent. And as they focus on the serpent, as they focus on it, they, as they focus on it, they would receive their healing through the focus. And Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And and here's the thing. Can, can, can I go into this now? You see, help me preach this, Jesus. When, when they were bitten, God said, don't try to self-medicate. Don't try to suck out the, you know, do all this self-medication. No, you need professional help. <laughs> all right? And I was looking up the symptoms of snake bites. And it's really interesting that what you first will feel is, of course, the pain in the area of the bite. And then after the pain, the next symptoms your heart starts to beat a little bit faster as your blood pressure rises and then you're going to start sweating profusely and you then you're going to notice some swelling and muscle tightness until it leads up to death and I was thinking about all the symptoms because it sounded a little bit familiar to me because it sounded like what happens when anxiety hits our life. It sounds like what happens when worry comes into our life. Your heart starts beating. You feel the pain. Your heart starts beating faster. You start sweating. You start stressing. Your, everything begins to tighten up. Your mind begins to lock up. You can't think straight until... It leads to death. By the way, worry can kill you. Doctors have proof. Worry kills. Worry, you can die of worry. And all of those symptoms, when you get those symptoms, it's just telling you, you need to go get help. Don't try to self-medicate. They will tell you, like I looked at the bottom of all these symptoms. It says, if you are feeling these symptoms, go seek professional assistance and I say to you also you cannot solve this issue looking to yourself will kill you look trying to self-medicate yourself you are not equipped 
to deal with these issues. You need to go seek professional help. And that's what God was saying. When these symptoms hit, go look at the serpent. But Jesus said, as the son, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. And what I'm trying to, to I said all this to say this. Jesus is saying, look to me. This is the cure. This is the healing for your worry. Is to refocus, reprioritize, and refocus upon me. And trust in me. Let's rise on our feet. As we lift Jesus up and make him the object, the focus, and the priority of our pursuit, this is when the venom of worry won't have power in our lives. When we lift him up and make him the focus of our pursuit, that's when our healing takes place. Our healing is in our pursuit. Our healing is in our focus. It's time to reprioritize and refocus and make him the object of our pursuit. Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so I'm going to be lifted up. Exalt him. Lift him up. Set the Lord before you. Set him at your right hand and you won't be shaken. Lift him up and you will be healed. Lift him up and trust in him to lift him up above all things. To lift him up in front and before all of your worries. Do you trust him enough to make him the focus? Peter, can you refocus? Can we just take, I just want to take 60 seconds right now. Just begin to, when whatever you're going through, in whatever storm that you're in, whatever, whatever has you sweating, I would just dare you right now, in spite of it, begin to exalt him. Begin to exalt him. Begin to lift him up. Begin to lift him up. We lift you up, Jesus. Ah, Jesus, we trust you and lift you up. We exalt you, my God, above all things. We exalt you above all our fears. We exalt you above all our needs. We exalt your faithfulness. We exalt your mercy. We exalt your love. We exalt your loving kindness, my God. We exalt you now, my Jesus. We exalt you above our own strength. We exalt you, Jesus. We don't trust, my God. We exalt you above ourselves, my God. We exalt you above ourselves, my God. My God, we, we thank you. We put our right hand behind us so you can become our right hand, my God. Be our strength. We exalt you now. We exalt the strength of the Lord. 
We exalt the mercy of God. Be exalted, Jesus. Be lifted up. Be lifted up. Be lifted up. Lord, we lift you up. We don't just have you in our lives. We lift you up. <laughs> we refocus and we prioritize and we, by God, we look to you, Jesus. We thank you. We thank you. You are faithful. <laughs> you are faithful. Wow. You are faithful. We trust in you. We trust in you. Lord, help our disbelief, but we trust in you. Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, Jesus. We trust in you to run to you. We trust in you to take refuge in you. We trust in you. We choose you to be our refuge. We choose you to be our right hand. And we will not be shaken. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hey, this is just a reminder. Have you subscribed to our Telegram channel? Not only will you find important announcements, but also access to our daily devotionals, family devotionals, and much, much more. We also want to take this moment to thank you for your generosity and faithfulness throughout the years. Not only is your giving a fragrant and acceptable offering before God, but Paul in 2 Corinthians 9.12 describes it as an expression of ministry. And it is that very ministry that allows us to continue to put our hands to the plow together in the work of reaching people with the message of God's grace and love. You can give through four different avenues. You can stop by your nearest commercial bank or Braham Bank and deposit your offering into the account number on the screen. You can also take advantage of either bank's mobile banking apps. For those of you who have international major credit cards or debit cards, you can give online on our website, bezachurch.org. And you can always stop by our accounting office on the PK Building 5th floor, and they will be happy to serve you there. In this extraordinary and unusual season, we appreciate you going out of your way to give. Thank you. God bless you. Bemecharasham, and neger lastawsachu. Yebeza Telegram channelin join yadergu. በቴሌግራም የቤተክርስቲያን ማስተዋቂያ ብቻ ሳይሆን የለታዊ የእግዚአብሔር ቃል ጥናት የቤተሰብ ጥናት እና ሌሎች አጫጭር ነገሮችን ያገኛሉ። በዚህ መንፈሳዊነቱን በመመገብ ይትኩ። በመጨረሻ ለእግዚአብሔር በታማኝነት እንደቃሉ አስራትና መባቹን የፍቅር ስጦታችን ስለምትሰጡ እግዚአብሔር ይባርካችሁ። ለእግዚአብሔር የምትሰጡት ስጦታችሁ በእግዚአብሔር ዘንድ እንደ መልካም ማዕዛ እንደሆነ ቃሉ ያስተምረናል። ይብቻ ሳይሆን ሁለተኛ ቆሮንጦስ ምዕራፍ 9 ቁጥር 12 ላይ እንደሚያስተምረን ለእግዚአብሔር የምናቀርበው አገልግሎታችንም ጭምር ነው ይሄው አገልግሎታችሁ በእግዚአብሔር ያገልግሉት እርሻ ላይ አብልጠን እንድንዘረጋ ሰዎችንም በእግዚአብሔር የጸቃቃል እንድንدرس የሚያደርገን አብረን የምንጠመድበት ያገልግሉት እድል ነው ስትሰጡ በአራት መንገድ መስጠት ይችላልላችሁ አንደኛ በቅርባችሁ ወደሚገኝ የኢትዮጵያ ንግድ ባንክ ወይም ብርሃን ባንክ በመሄድ ሁለተኛ በተለይም በዚህ እንግዳ ጊዜ በስልካችሁ በሚገኝ ሞባይል ባንኪንግ አፕ እንድትጠቀሙ አብልጠንን መከራለን ከኢትዮጵያ ውጪ ላላችሁ ወገኖቻችን ደግሞ በሜጀር ክሬዲት ካርድ ወይም ዴቢት ካርድ በመጠቀም bezachurch.org ድረገጽ ላይ በመሄድ መስጠት ይችላልላችሁ በመጨረሻም በቲኬ ኢንተርናሽናል ህንፃ አምስተኛ ፎቅ ላይ በሚገኘው የቤዛ ሂሳብ ክፍል በመሄድ ልትሰጡት ይችላልላችሁ 
በዚህ ባልተለመደ እንግዳ በሚመስል ጊዜ ሁሉን አልፋችሁ ለእግዚአብሔር ሥራ ከሌላው ጊዜ አብልጣችሁ ስለተዘረጋችሁ እግዚአብሔር ይባርካችሁ እንወዳችኋለን እግዚአብሔር ይጠብቃችሁ ፊቱንም ያብራላችሁ